0: Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, you betcha, yeah. If it's made in Minnesota, who's making it and
1: how? Well, yeah, you got that
0: right. It's the makers of Minnesota, focusing on the products and services uniquely made in Minnesota and conversations with the makers, entrepreneurs, and innovators in Minnesota about how they conceived of their products and how they brought them to
1: market. With Stephanie Hansen, it's the makers of Minnesota. Hi, this is Stephanie Hansen and I am here in the inaugural podcast of the Makers of Minnesota with Gina Holman from J. Carver Distilling. Hello. Hello, is how it, are you? I'm good. Is it a distillery, distilling, distiller? Jay Carver
0: Distillery. Distillery. We uh we distill and so distilling spirits and how amazing inaugural.
1: Little podcast
0: here yes, and thanks. talking about makers in Minnesota.
1: So you and I had an opportunity to meet. I have another uh, radio show that I do with Steph March called The Weekly Dish on My Talk one oh seven one. And you and I met and we were talking about your distilled spirits and your products. And you just had such a great Um, effervescent love for what you did. And when I was thinking about this podcast and putting together the Makers of Minnesota, I thought, I want to talk to people like Gina that really took a risk on something. They're realizing their dream and find out, like, how did you decide to do that? And what is it about you that made you uniquely situated to do that? So you started, tell me, uh, give me the beginning of the story and how you started with Jay Carver Distilling.
0: So amazingly, my business partner, Bill Miller, his brother, Matt, was a distiller out in New York at Catskill Distilling. And the distillery world for me wasn't necessarily my niche starting out. I've been in the uh, hospitality industry for 30 years, over 30 years, really 32, holy cow. And I started with the love of food and hospitality, more the country club scene in Minnetonka. So yep. I'm a, a total Minnesota girl. Um and went to Europe for a year. So that's why talking with you and Steph with one oh seven point one that that special yeah. was so exciting because it was living, reliving going back to Europe when you were there. I with had been your in Europe daughter. for three weeks when yeah. you just came and on the so show. What I think what happened then is my background is teaching speech communication in English for secondary
1: ed. Okay, very, good to know that English crazy. majors are going to have a career doing something. Drinking. Because <laughs> that's what my daughter's going to college for. Okay, very
0: good. She has a, a bright future. And so when I went to Europe, I was with up with people. I came back. It is a very kind of crazy story, but I think it's inspiring for anybody out there because you're never... Too old or too young to just take risks. Yeah. And I think that the fabric in your tapestry, when you turn the tapestry around, you see a little bit of the knots and the phrase and you go, oh my gosh, that's where it all comes together. So how Bill found me was when I was working for the city of Wayzata and I was the director of their liquor operations, the restaurant and liquor store when I came back. Okay. I ran that for 20 years. Well, my passion was then teaching everybody about these beautiful places around the world, whether it was the the wine or the spirits, the beer. And so I went to my boss and I said, you know, I want to go back to school. Yep. And even being immersed in the industry for as long as I had been you still need to take time to open up the book and see really what's happening in history around the world and then what was happening at the same time in Minnesota. And that's when you saw just this... Renaissance of beer and the creativity of the Surly Beer ch- bill changing, and people really kind of saying, I want to go do this. So the micro distillery world in Minnesota was still very
1: small and almost in its infancy stage. So in 2011 was when the Surly Bill was passed, and Correct. it allowed craft breweries to sell their beer on site at tap rooms. And then there was this other weird little, largely unnoticed piece that took, um, the starting a distillery fee went from $30,000 to just 1000 Correct. And I'm assuming that that's how uh, your partners decided, hey, let's do this. Let's do this. That's exactly right. So they, Bill
0: came from a different career, finance, and um, really kind of did some really amazing things in the community and then said with Matt, you know, it's possible here now. And so... He called me up after I went back to school and got my sommelier certification. And how long did that take you? Well, I studied for about three and a half, four years. Wow. Um, and in lieu of also, you know, doing the whole working thing and the four kids thing and the husband thing and all that, (laughs) that lovely side of our life that we adore and are so grateful for. And so he called me up and said, you know, Gina, I really think I want to do this. What Can I just have a couple of hours of your time and and chat? And so he had a list of questions, and we met, and he said, you know, tell me what's happening in the local market and tell me what's happening in the landscape of Minnesota. And then that's when I said, we can't keep the local stuff on the shelf, and there's so many people in the community, in the hospitality community, whether it's restaurants and liquor stores um, around the state, fine spirit shops, fine wine shops, And we're so excited to hear the story of somebody else, right? And saying, why are you producing and how are you doing this? So I said... If you are going to do this, the timing
1: is right, and do it now. So you're having this meeting, and at that time you were working in this local liquor store. Were there local spirits that were being presented to you to buy at that time? Not at all. But um, you knew the beer scene had taken off. But I knew the beer
0: scene was taking off, and then really um, the winery scene taking yeah. off also, right? And so it's like we talked at that when we were talking earlier um, with the other radio show, and people... Are really excited about what's happening in their own backyard, just like what's happening in Europe and all around the world. You know, you're so used to that locavore movement where you're saying, "What am I eating and drinking in my own backyard?" If you're in Italy, you're you're eating and drinking what's in your own backyard, and I think we're finally starting to see that here.
1: Which isn't that kind of ironic that very when you're in Europe, you eat what's literally being grown, or the goat next door that's foraging on the grass. Yes, you drink the wine that is from the grape that are in your neighbor's town or your own town, and how we got so far away from that, and now it's like this movement, really, right, to be grain-to-glass or farm-to-table? Correct. And so that's
0: what we're really passionate about is the grain-to-glass movement and also fruit-to-glass for us because we're uh, one of the only right now that I know of that has... um, fruit-based spirits also. And so that was super exciting because we're able to source in all of our grains from within about 15, 20 miles
1: from the distillery. So local winter wheat, local corn, actually local rye. So you are contracting. So wait, back up a second. Yes. So we decide that we're going to get into this... Distilling Distillery, business. Distillery, yes. And at that point, how many people were in it that you knew of? Or were you one of the first?
0: Well, we were I want to say with your DSP, your licensing, um, there were six that were producing and I remember we were getting interviewed for uh City Page's uh Article, I think yep. article and at that point and that was in 2000 I thought it was 14 14 and there was 14 of us yep. yeah and so now upwards of you know 25 plus Yeah I
1: was going to say it still seems though like it's under 30 It
0: is under 30 and it, a lot of people that are creating these spirits not everybody is grained to glass and that makes sense for some people's business strategy for us and our team uh, our investors, everybody said, you know, where the importance is that grain to glass movement, really knowing that we're talking to the farmers, sourcing from local grains, sourcing fruit from Jordan, Minnesota for our apple brandy, right. you know, and even our grappa. I mean, just like, you know, this hashtag grappa revolution um with Bill and Matt's Italian heritage. They totally grew up, you know, understanding where the spirit came from, their mom and dad would just have a little sip
1: of grappa you know, in the evening. It was and a very kind of uh, thing to do after dinner, always. sit down and have a, yep. a cigar or so a cigarette. Wonderful
0: meal and then just a little yep. sip of grappa for your digestive. And so when Matt um, came to distilling with us, and amazingly, it was harvest time. And so in Waconia, we just have amazing things happening. We have three wineries, two breweries, and then the distillery. And just the collaborative movement that we have going on is pretty exciting. And so when the harvest was coming, from the time that the three wineries were crushing their grapes, and in particular Marquette, so our Minnesota grape, we were able to make Marquette Grappa, which is just delicious.
1: All right. So I'm talking to Gina Holman from J Carver Distilling and you decide, okay, we're going to get into this business. Now you have the two brothers, you have yourself and literally like you meet, then where do you go from there? How do you decide, like, did you have formal paperwork about what percentage of the business you were going to have and what percentage they were going to have? And I'm assuming you had lawyers and that you had a whole business plan before you started.
0: Yes, and that's that's where Bill and a couple of our other partners have been in business, had prior businesses together. Yep. And so that was all detailed out for us. And then what makes our team very unique is Bill brought us all together. Everybody had their expertise in their field. So with him and starting other companies before and the finance, uh, Beth t- takes care of all of our paperwork. She worked at the state for 25 years. Yep. Dan's our boiler operator. So his expertise is that entire warehouse, really understanding how to take care of equipment and the business. And then, of course, I had the industry hospitality wine beverage side of of the scope. So we all came together from that standpoint to to really
1: have this strong fabric of a foundation for a business. Okay, so you decide you're going to have the business, you're going to make spirits. You're going to go grain to glass. So you have to go out and get farmers to grow the grains that you're going to use to make spirits. How long of a process from the time you were like, yeah, we're going to have this business to we're going to bottle this stuff is that?
0: Well, for us and what was interesting, um We had a building that we actually designed and did not build. And so when we took over the Pontiac car dealership out in Waconia, that building was vacant for two and a half years. So when we took that place over and repurposed the building, and Matt has expertise in construction, um, that was his other prior life. So we were able to work through all those details of repurposing the building. That took about six months um then we started distilling so we're going on our second year which is super exciting yep um so you know you really think about the scope of labels you know what bottles what corks what products are you really going to distill what's your mash bill for the gin what's our different botanical bills so you know that's a good year and then really designing the labels what are you going to call the products? So from the time that we really pulled the trigger to say, yes, we're going to do th- this yep. business strategy to the time that we actually got
1: the first bottles to market was about a year and a half. And were you working at your other job this whole time? I wasn't. OK, no. so you had enough funding or investors that you could be fully present in this business to quit your job and move forward. Correct. That makes a big difference, I think, on the home front with your family. A lot of people have to sort of concept businesses while they're working somewhere else or doing something else. And you see that. that's And
0: there's a lot of the stories that you'll see across Minnesota where that is the case. And for us, we really wanted to focus on the distillery. We really wanted to focus on this grain-to-glass movement. That was our business strategy. Mm -hmm. We really wanted to create unique products. And so... It was very important for the team to say, we are going to focus 100% on Jay Carver Distillery. We really wanted to focus on the landscape of Minnesota and saying what we could do to create a brand, a distillery that we can be proud of, that can really be present in our own backyard. And so that was very important for everybody
1: for a business move. So did you have an income for that year and a half while you were you were able yes, to get were, paid through your investors yes. okay so that's not a concern now you're deciding you're on board you guys are uh, working with farmers you're trying to decide what kind of spirits, what kind of botanicals did you ever just like look in the mirror and go oh my god, how am I even qualified to do this? did you have self-doubt did you fear? never you didn't not at all and I think it was
0: like I said, Flipping the tapestry over and seeing all the knots and everything lined
1: up perfectly for me. And just like timing and the timing schooling was great. and your confidence. Schooling, yeah.
0: And I think just seeing all of those products on the shelf for over 30 years of my life, you know, and tasting, I would say, three fourths of them. Yeah. Really set me up to say, OK, here's a product that I know when people came in and wanted to purchase it or I enjoyed selling it probably more importantly and passionately for me. what And right now, you're, for those of you that are listening, I have a shirt on right now that says J Carver Gin, the first gin that I've ever loved. There were so many people that wouldn't drink gin or even think of drinking gin. I was kind of one of those people and, too. Right? And so we have four gins. I think from the standpoint of seeing the movement going from vodka to gin as a spirit, Um, seeing the whiskey movement happening. And so my palate was able to discern what should go into the bottle and how we should distill it. So that was exciting just to have a team that said, Gina, you know, go crazy. It was almost just, here's my little scale and here's all these botanicals and coming up with different botanical blends. And we knew what we wanted to have. One of the great stories is our barrel gin. And so for people that see our product that so many of the mixologists in the cities are falling in love with. And some of them have come out to the distillery and they'll actually buy a private barrel Mm -hmm. of Barrel Gin, which is super exciting. So Rob's been great at Spoon
1: and Stable. Now we just had a private barrel that went to Marvel Bar. So let's talk about your Barrel Gin for just a second, because I'm under the impression that you're making your own barrels.
0: We are not making our own barrels Amazingly, there's three cooperages in Minnesota, so we're really focusing on Getting barrels from the Cooperages
1: here. Okay. Cause and isn't that kind of, aren't, aren't barrels in demand?
0: They are. And so there's different size barrels mm-hmm. also. And so that was a really important aspect working with Matt and Bill and our team. Um, Dan and I, you know, will pull a number of the barrels down and do some testing because what you can see is the 53 gallon barrels. That's what people are looking at for a traditional bourbon barrel or a rye barrel that you'd see if you're on the, you know, down in Kentucky and doing the Kentucky bourbon trail. And so that's where people are used to seeing it takes, you know, quote unquote, at least four years for it to be a straight bourbon. Now, that's the rules in Kentucky. For something to be bourbon, it needs to be at least 51% corn aged in a charred virgin oak barrel, white American oak. And so that is what bourbon is. If it's rye and everybody's seeing this rye renaissance, um, we have our rye
1: out to market also. And so that means it has to be at least 51 percent rye. And how long does that have to age? Because when you're looking at this as a business, you have all this product that you're making, but it's not ready to sell yet. So The gins go much faster, I'm assuming. Correct. And so a lot of people, that's
0: a great question. People say, how long does it take to make vodka or how long does it take to make gin? So for us, it's, if we, if we were to say we're going to make vodka, and I want it in a bottle in X number of days, it would be about 10 to 12 days. Oh, that's fast. Yeah, because what you're doing is you're actually then cooking the grain. You know, you're making this big bowl of cream of wheat. And what we're trying to do is not trying. We need to get that complex carb into a simple sugar. And that takes a day, about 12 hours. And then we pitch the yeast, and that goes through the fermentation process in the fermentation vessels. So for people that go on distillery tours, we're essentially at beer, less the hops. That takes about another four days. Then we do our... That's cool. I never thought about that. Right? And so really for people that visit breweries and, you know, there's so many breweries yeah. in everybody's backyard right now, which is so cool because we have a great relationship now with the breweries because you're asking about the barrels, right? So they want our barrels then that we have aged our whiskey in because then they'll do a beautiful bourbon stout or yep. even with our barrel gin, Waconia Brewing, that's where that collaborative effort for us um happening in our own backyard in Carver County, they took our used barrel gin barrels oh, cool. and made an amazing honey ale. And Tom, their brewer, knew exactly the strain of hops and yeast he wanted to do to just really highlight and bring out these beautiful citrus notes. Yep. And so it was just a slam dunk, just an A+.
1: Hey, everybody, Jared Sebesta here. Check out my brand new podcast, Two Week Notice, where we discuss the process of quitting your job and living a more fulfilling life. I want you living the dream. Find Two Week Notice on my website, jaredsebesta.com, or subscribe on iTunes today. So I had a revelation with your gin because I never really liked gin. And then I I started drinking gin again when it became a little more floral and more cucumbery and I think I started with Hendrix. I was like, yes. oh, I can drink this because I was sort of a vodka drinker. And as the gins have become different and better and more complex, I've really enjoyed them. But I'd never heard of a sipping gin until you came on our show. So you call your higher-end gin a sipping gin.
0: Yeah, we call that one our whiskey lover's gin. And it's brown It's brown. And so that throws people. So um, it's amazing, though, because what is happening is we we always knew we were going to have a barrel gin. Um, we just thought that it was going to be with used wine barrels, knowing that we had the wineries so close to the distillery. So there's barrel gins. Some people will think of it like an old Tom-style um style gin, which are out there. And so when our whiskey still showed up a little bit late, we had like a three-month delay because of all of the micro distilleries. And yeah, distillery, the, the, the rush boom, on demand. Right. And so our whiskey still was a little delayed, but the barrels were still coming in. So Matt looked over at us and we had these test batches of gin and he said, Hey, you guys, we knew we were going to have a barrel gin. Let's just throw it in the whiskey barrels and see what happens. Well, We let it rest for about 10 days. Bill came through the door and he said, all right, taste this one. And I just did backflips. He was with one of our other partners, John. And John said, oh, my gosh, I'm not a gin drinker, but I could drink that every day. And so we let that rest for about 10 to 12 weeks. And that's just been the darling for these mixologists because we call it like our chameleon spirit. Any place that gin A gin would be in a recipe, it works. Any place that you would be looking for a whiskey, it works. It makes the most amazing, old-fashioned Manhattan Negroni, a martini, a tonic,
1: a bee's knees. It's just been fantastic. What's funny about it is, as I was researching for this segment, I was looking on your website, and I had just been at my cabin, and I had been drinking some of the sipping gin. And there was one night where... I think I had one before dinner, and then I had a couple glasses of wine, and then I had one after dinner because I like rum. I'm a rum drinker, so I'll drink rum on the rocks a lot at night. And I felt like, wow, I've had a lot to drink here. And my husband was like, how much did you drink? I was like, I don't know. I just had this and that and and then, as I was on your website today, I was like, "It's ninety six proof." It is. So that helps proof me to <laughs> understand why I felt like, "Wow, I feel like I drank a lot, but I don't know that I necessarily did." I it just, I had no idea. So it makes a lot of sense. For a lot
0: me. of sense there. And we did that really on purpose um, when we reached out to a bunch of our friends in the industry and in the cities, and we said, "Come out and you know sample some of this." And when we were first going to release it, they wanted it to be navy proof. Believe it or not, a lot of the bartenders and can with the bartender Can you explain what guilt. Navy
1: Proof is? Because so you Navy do have a proof, Navy Proof Gin too, right? No, we were
0: going to. So I might have written a, my own blog about that. Possibly, we don't have a Navy um, strength. Navy strength means 114. I was going to say I thought it was maybe 130. Yeah. And so there's a there's a great story behind that that you could actually, if it ignited, you could prove that that was Navy the proof. Navy proof. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's a great story So about why did you
1: decide not to do that? A lot of the distilleries have them. And so for
0: us, it, it was really from a consumer standpoint, just like you're saying. If you're buying a bottle and you're not sure, so many people are used to like an 80 proof. Yep. And that's the, the mainstay for a, a lot of the spirits out there. When we were tasting it, because of our grain-to-glass approach and our process, the equipment... It's so smooth, even at 96 proof. Yep. A lot of people say, oh, my gosh. No, when we tasted at 80, it was lovely. But with the cocktails, we really enjoyed where it sat in the glass with some of the other citrus and some of the other liqueurs that were mixed with it. The 96 proof was just the balance that we were looking for. Okay. So we did. We tasted at 80. We tasted at 86. We tasted at 92. And then 96 was
1: just the sweet spot. So your palate... Is it that subtle, like that you can, I mean, you're a sommelier, you trained in food. I just feel like as I've aged, my palate is kind of burned out by Tabasco and Sriracha. Like, is your palate <laughs> still such that you can really taste those subtleties? Yes. Okay, it's, that's and it, it, neat. The, the
0: great thing is we just did an event with uh, Nico at Meritage for Bastille sure. Day and walked in and they totally surprised me and said, okay, Gina, we're going to do a, a blind tasting. Well, I almost had a heart attack. And I said, okay, if it's clear, I'm just going to say it's gin if I got the grape wrong. <laughs> so, <laughs> and if That's it was something funny. dark, I'd say, okay, it's whiskey. Uh, but no, I, I think you can train your palate. When I was teaching, I was teaching for the International Sommelier Guild as well for about four years. And so many of my students that came in, you can tell just by people's memory of going back and I'd say a lot of it, people think is taste. It's essentially also your nose. You can smell, you know, two, three thousand smells and taste the five. Right. Yep. So whether it's the sweetness or the bitter, or the umami um, and so the tannin. And so I think you can train yourself But you really do have the finesse of saying, if you can recall those smells, the tastes come through. And I think that's that's just where you can really get that discernment of writing a fantastic tasting note or really getting your palate in your mind. I call them anchors. If you can find even 20 to 50 anchors and give yourself the vocabulary... And then also to whoever you're speaking, if you can say, okay, think of citrus. I always did this for a class. Okay, if I were going to tell you to go to the store and buy something, and I'd say go buy citrus, well, what does that mean to you? Are you going to go buy a lemon? Are you going to go buy a lime? Are you going to go buy a Meyer lemon? If I go tell you to buy cherries, well, what kind of cherry? I was thinking I would buy a Summit Pale Ale.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I would say I'm
0: gonna enjoy one with you. Yeah. So I I think that for those people that are in this um, focus of producing and creating, whether it's beer, right, or wine or spirits, it really is that level of training yourself to know what flavor profiles work together. And then, again, just giving yourself the anchors and the vocabulary to be able to speak about it so that whoever you're talking with, you can really have a have a collaborative effort and conversation by saying, okay, are you getting this? Because Dan, our distiller, amazing palate, amazing. Yeah. We taste all of the whiskeys together with Matt and Bill. And Dan and I, really, we taste the same things. I have the vocabulary, but he, once we start talking, we're saying the same thing. I just have to give him some of
1: the, the words. Some of the words. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, so give us a rundown, if you can, of your products. Sure. And then um, we'll talk about maybe some uses for them before we wrap up. Okay, great. So we have two vodkas, we
0: have four different gins, we have an apple brandy, we have a rye whiskey. And we have a bourbon and then four grappa. And so our J Carver vodka is 100% winter wheat. Matt really wanted that winter wheat profile because of the carbohydrates and the flavors that comes through. There's almost a beautiful little vanilla note, a brioche that mm-hmm. comes through. And then our lake house vodka is three grains. Pretty fantastic. Rye. Nobody's ever done this one where it's 50% rye, 30% corn, and then 20% of our signature winter wheat. And is that kind of your, um, entry vodka? The, the J. Carver vodka is our entry, but they're very different because the J. Carver vodka is 80 proof. The Lakehouse vodka is 92 proof. Okay. And the. Don't you Jay- know I have that in my bag? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and the, but the J. Carver vodka is almost like this. Eastern European style. It's a vodka for people that may say they don't like vodka cuz it's just too harsh yeah, and burning. It can like can mm-hmm. be. Ours is smooth and creamy and just gorgeous. Um works really well with a myriad of cocktails. Then we have four different gins. And so our J. Carver gin, easy, easy drinking gin. Um, it's the base is a hundred percent winter wheat, like mm-hmm. our J. Carver vodka, nine botanicals. So very easy, um, beautiful citrus notes coming through great with even sipping on the rock. So for people that don't like gin, yep. they just sip J. Carver gin all day long and it's lovely. Then we have a Grim Farm gin. And that is 92 proof. And that is the base is the rye corn wheat with 14 botanicals. So that one definitely is a wink and a nod to Minnesota because we actually macerated uh, wild rice as well as using everlasting clover as one of the botanicals, which was, I mean, if anybody that knows everlasting clover, it's alfalfa. It created a billion dollar crop here in Minnesota. That's why we actually have dairy Dairy Farmers here in Minnesota because of Wendland Grimm. And so their homestead is in Carver um, Carver County, just about seven miles from the distillery. Then a combination of those two gins is our barrel gin that we then took that gin and rested it in the whiskey barrels for about three months. And that's the one that we talked about that's that's kind of brown. Yep, like our whiskey lover's gin, the sipper. Um, makes great cocktails though as well and then our last is a steinhager style gin that uh was created for black forest Inn. And oh so, i love those people yeah, oh erica so erica calls up so great. and she's amazing and she said gina i can't get this steinhager style gin anymore they're not um exporting it so that she wasn't able to get it in minnesota and so i tasted it i went met with her and uh she said, can you make this? Can you distill this? And I said, yeah, instantly. And why I knew was, again, the the palate, the taste, the base of Steinhager is winter wheat. You could tell. And I could tell. Yeah. And I said, oh, my gosh, there's that creaminess, that beautiful um, essence of the winter wheat being distilled. And the only other botanical or the only botanical then is juniper. So it's the base, our J. Carver vodka, and then uh, just a beautiful dance of juniper in the distillation process.
1: I went to a um, vodka tasting, and you were tasting, and I hadn't met you yet, and you were talking to me about um, what I was going to taste, and you were telling me um, vanilla, you were talking about mouthfeel, and I'm sort of looking at you while you were having this discussion with me and handing me my NyQuil <laughs> cup. And I'm thinking, whatever, lady. Like, just in my mind, you know, because I've gone to a lot of wine tastings and I, and then I tasted it and it did have a mouthfeel yes. and it did have like a viscosity and right. it did have a vanilla sort of note to it. And again, as you, as I was listening to you talk, I'm wondering if, did you put those suggestions of words in my mind that helped me come up with? how to describe that experience, but I had never had gin like that. Right. So I I just, I laughed kind of, and afterwards I was saying Steph March, um, you know, I did taste this and I did taste that. She's like, I know, isn't that funny? So it, as I talk to you now, it was a really unique experience. So however you're tasting, that worked for me.
0: I'm I'm glad to hear that because when we have people that come to the distillery because we do have the cocktail room. Well, and let's
1: talk about that. So yeah. you you have the distillery and you do a cocktail room. Did those things all come together simultaneously? No, they didn't because that was another one of those laws that changed
0: that allowed us to actually have the cocktail room. And that didn't happen until, was it 2015? Yeah, last year. Yeah. So then, you know, we we had the room built you could out, sample, but we could sample, but we didn't know we could necessarily do the cocktails. So now, when people are visiting, I think so. For all of you out there, come visit the distillery because it's an amazing experience in, in, Carver, you, County, in Carver, Carver County. Carver County, Jay Carver, and, yeah, and so like thirty minutes from the cities. Super, super easy trip. People that then see the distillery can visualize when we're talking about that creaminess, that viscosity, that mouth feel, and they go through the tour with either Dan or Bill or Greg, and. You see the equipment. You understand why Jay Carver Spirits are the way they are. There is this smoothness. There is this differential because we're able to distill our vodka in one distillation because we have those 42 plates that allows us to get to that 190 proof. Right. We're actually at 192 proof. Well, when you're only distilling once like that, you're not stripping out all of that wonderful essence of that brioche, that little bit of vanilla. So you're not almost essentially cleaning up the vodka so much. And that's why people think that vodka is this tasteless, odorless, colorless spirit. Well, if you're only distilling it once, you get a completely different output,
1: which is lovely. Is there any truth to, I think somewhere along the line, I read like Grey Goose, you know, they distill it so many times and that's that's why you don't get hangovers. Is there any truth to that, that it by more distillation, it takes out impurities that would give you less of a hangover.
0: I would say the less that it's distilled because when you're distilling, there's three parts to the distilling process. And so you're not reintroducing all of those heads, you know, and tails every single time that you're distilling.
1: So for us,
0: the less it's distilled, the more pure it okay. is.
1: That would make sense to me. I always thought that was kind of interesting. Um, so you have this business. I I think it's safe to say it's going gangbusters, right? Yeah,
0: we're, we're doing well. We're excited about what's happening in Minnesota.
1: You have uh, a lot of places are carrying your spirits and I'll probably put a list up on yeah, our show great. page. Uh, we will have a Facebook page for Makers of Minnesota. We'll also be tweeting and um, we'll have information and show notes that we'll put together for you so that you can share that. When you look now, how many employees do you have? So we have now because
0: of the cocktail room, we're up to about nine employees.
1: So that's still fairly small in the grand scheme of it. What like keeps you up at night? Like what do you lay in bed and just like, oh, God, and get nerves about? What's going to be the next cocktail
0: and the new thing at the cocktail room? It, uh, truly, because we yep. we just did our uh, cocktail class last week. We, we uh, held a cocktail class and have a couple more coming out and Thank the Lord we're we're sold out. So that's good. But it is. It's it's
1: like what what could be new and different and ever changing? Is there pressure to have sort of the next thing? And from a spirits trend, what is that?
0: You know, I would say, yes, that is that does keep me up. The next trend, I would say you're going to see a lot more of the fruit based there, I really think that that's going to be, especially with what we have right now with all of the University of Minnesota that's just in our backyard. And, and so much of that is um, amazing. All of the wineries that are exploding. The so grapes and the, the grapes apples. grapes and the apples and more just all of the fruit. fruit. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. really, from the standpoint of being in Minnesota, I think we're getting, we really are getting put on the map. Yeah. Um, You know, we're always seemingly a decade behind each coast. And so when you see what you're able to do with our climate, of course, you know, we've got more of the cooler climate, um, fruit and, and the grapes, but you're going to see a lot of people. It's, it's hard though. It's, it's time consuming. It takes a lot of space. It's expensive when you're using fruit. Um, but I I think that that's where the craft is going to go for sure. And then, truly, from a perspective of whiskey, I think r- we're going to put rye on the map. I think Minnesota
1: is going to just be the hub for for rye whiskey. That's pretty exciting. Now, are you so you're two years into it, right? Yes, Year and yep. a half, two years. Two years. Are you making money yet?
0: Uh, we let's put it this way: we're not having to reinvest. Okay. So um, we're we're. Getting there. Yep. But uh, we, it's nice to know that we don't have to go back and say, "Okay, let's invest some more."
1: And when you look at your business plan as to how you thought it would go, are you following the business plan? Is it growing faster, slower, the same as to what you thought when you started off on this adventure?
0: You know, I, I think you can always sell more, right? So sure. that's, that's the exciting thing for any small business um, with the number of distilleries that are coming and not just in Minnesota, but just across the Midwest yeah. and across the country. Um, I think that shelf space will always just kind of
1: be that struggle and it's, the, it's there. It's totally the truth. I was going to ask about that because I do a lot of work with Certics, and there's just so much new product coming in and the store is only so large. So they're really having to cycle through things. Everyone's looking for the newest thing. Yep. And so I think that you see, you see those trends of, you know, To me,
0: what is going to keep the shelf space is, is it quality? You can always say, you know, drink local. But for us and when we're doing tastings, I love the feedback that we get from our consumers because they say what we're tasting is smooth and elegant and it tastes good. So you could do the, you know, drink local. But you need to
1: drink local, and then you want to buy the second bottle, right? You need to crave it's a, that it's second bottle. It's interesting you say that because my husband is not as interested in the buy local movement as I am. It, for him, it's like, eh, if it's good, I'll buy it. If it's not, I don't care. And w- I bring home a lot of local product, and some of it just, frankly, isn't that good. It's rushed, or it's not too, it's not complex enough, or there's no reason, really, that you'd be buying it again. Yeah. And I
0: think that that I, I really have to you know stay full of that integrity and so do our business partners because we say with my retail side and then the restaurant side if it didn't make sense for me to be passionate because it was so good and that I wanted my consumer yep. and my client to buy it i mean that's totally what we have to do right and yeah. so and- to me it's always this the first bottle's easy i want you to buy the second third and fourth bottle and be as excited about it as the consumer as we are about the person that that
1: we're actually producing it all right. Well, this has been a great conversation. I'm with Gina Holman from J. Carver Distilling. Um, are there any local places that people can uh, go and order a drink that you're excited about? Let's just say in the Twin Cities.
0: Yeah, you know, there's we've we've been so excited to work for sure with uh, Spoon and Stable. With Rob Jones, uh, Rob my bartender Jones. boyfriend. Yeah, Hi, Rob. A- I know. We love Rob. And then, again, super excited about what they're doing at Marvel Bar. Um, I know Red Cow even from Stephanie at Black Forest Inn, this the Steinhager style gin. Um, we're at Commodore in Saint Paul, yep. even so. All right. yeah, a, a number of places around. We're in about over five hundred restaurants and liquor stores. Okay, so and all of that
1: information is on our website. So all right, uh, restaurants as well. And I will put a link to that. Thank you for being the inaugural guest, Gina. I'm on so excited Makers about Minnesota that. The show. first, the first. We're going to be talking about some food, obviously, some spirits, but we'll also dig into some technology companies, um, different types of industries and services that are born and bred and conceived of in Minnesota. We have such a great climate for new ideas. So, thank you for being our first guest. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fantastic. All right. Good luck.